Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Welcome and good morning. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, We are continuing our journey through the book of John. Almost finished, actually. Uh, Nearing to the end. So uh, we're still kind of living in that period in between the Last Supper and when Jesus is actually crucified on the cross. And so today uh, we are talking again about the Holy Spirit. It's really, really interesting to me uh, that Jesus takes a significant portion of his time in this sort of intermediate period to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he's letting his people know that something is coming, that he's not going to leave them alone. Actually, made me think of, uh, <clears throat> oddly enough, my kindergarten teacher, whose name was Miss, Mrs. Brown. Uh, she taught me one very important thing, the only thing I think I remember from kindergarten, and that was about tuna fish, uh, that it's like a good thing to eat. I don't know if you guys, you've probably had tuna fish. When I was a kid, that was not something that we had at our house. And you ever have one of those memories that just sticks in your mind and you really can't explain as to why? I remember very vividly eating tuna fish for the very first time. Uh, in Miss Brown's kindergarten class. It was fascinating, uh, and it just opened up a whole world. I actually had tuna fish yesterday, I think, from preparing this sermon. But <clears throat> I say all that to say, I don't think that I want Miss Brown to like continue being my teacher forever. Like, I don't have like financial decisions to make, and I call up Miss Brown and say, hey, you know, you're really right on the tuna fish thing. I'm wondering if you could help me with my 401k, right? Like, that's not a thing that happens. You don't get to keep your like same teachers and coaches and mentors forever. It's pretty natural in life to just sort of move through. And I'm sure if you like actually thought back, you'd have like this long list of people in your life that have helped you along the way, that have guided you, that have taught you something, that have helped you. Uh, grow into the person that you are today. And here's what's strange. Almost every time you leave one of those situations, it's kind of sad, right? Like it's kind of a painful thing to transition away from that, even though we know that this is a very natural phenomenon. We know that we don't want Miss Brown still to be our only person speaking into our life. We know that we need new and different mentors, teachers, coaches, whatever it may be. And yet still, every time that we walk away from one of those, it's painful. It hurts. I feel like this is something like what Jesus' disciples must have felt. I don't really know the tone. Uh, Actually, in this set of verses uh, where Jesus is talking, we don't get much sort of like narration or anything. It doesn't say like, and he looked sad when he said this or anything like that. We just know that they had just had the Last Supper. They had some awkwardness, if you recall, right? He kind of, you know, quasi calls Judas out, or he's like, the one of you that leaves is about to betray me, and Judas is like, okay, got to go by for another reason, right? Like, it was very, very, like, awkward, everyone's sort of knowing. And then he even looks at people that stayed, and he's like, Peter, you're about to betray me too. And Peter's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And later on, of course, he does, right? So that's sort of what they had left. And then Jesus just monologues for, like, three or four chapters here. And uh, during this time... I think what is happening is the disciples are slowly beginning to realize, maybe even one by one across the room, they're putting the pieces together like, this is about to happen. Jesus has been telling us for a long time now, he's probably going to die. This is not going to you know, end in him conquering the entire world in the way that they might have been thinking. This is about to go down. And this is what Jesus says to console them. He says in verse 7, <clears throat> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
speaking of the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, basically, it is actually a good thing that I'm going away because you're going to get the Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer actually uh, wrote a book, and he uh, referred to it this way. Sort of the, the title of the book was Jesus Continued, and the subtitle was The Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. The Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You, which is exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's actually going to be better if I disappear, if I go away from you, if I distance myself from you. It is going to be better because you are going to get the Holy Spirit. But how can that be? This is not how we tend to think of things, right? We're like, man, if Jesus was standing right here beside me, he could like take care of all of my problems. He could fix everything that was wrong. He could make it happen. J.D. Rear actually says in that book, he says that we often tend to think of the Holy Spirit more like our pituitary gland than an actual like supernatural force that is on our side, right? Like the pituitary gland, like it's there. I'm sure it does something that's probably important. I don't really think about it until something is like dreadfully wrong. I couldn't even point to it on one of those like anatomy maps. Like I have no idea, right? That's kind of how the Holy Spirit feels sometimes. It's like Jesus makes all these promises. The Holy Spirit's going to come to you. He's going to help you. He's going to be on your side. He is going to uh, be your advocate, sort of like we talked about a few weeks ago. And it's actually going to be better to have this Holy Spirit with you than Jesus himself. I've been thinking a lot about this, and uh, really, as we've been sort of like going through year number two of Dwell, been thinking more and more and more about the Holy Spirit and his power and his work in and through our lives. And I think the reason why we may think of him like a pituitary gland, the reason why he's kind of like there but not necessarily a star player in our life, is because he's, he's kind of difficult to talk about, right? It's kind of strange. Uh, I had this impulse as I was writing the sermon is like that I need to like create some sort of like DIY guide to the Holy Spirit or like an idiot's guide to the Holy Spirit. You know, those like yellow, you know, kind of cheater books where you can learn stuff. But the Holy Spirit doesn't really work that way. There's no sort of formula. I wish I could describe to someone what it feels like to have the Holy Spirit connect with you. I wish I could describe to someone what exactly uh, you can do to get the Holy Spirit or to feel the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't really work that way. He's actually a lot more like some more mysterious things in life. Like, have you ever had to describe what love feels like to someone? Have you ever had someone be like, yeah, I don't really know if I've been in love. What is that supposed to feel like? You end up shifting back to like cliches or, you know, things you'd seen on romantic comedies and stuff like that. Like it's just not, it's not easy to talk about. Maybe think about like trying to explain to someone, how do you know when you're an adult? What do you, how do you even like cross that barrier? You may have some sort of like little small example, but you don't know how to describe that. I think about like what it feels like to describe someone, uh, what it feels like to be a parent, right? Like you're like, ah, well... And I feel like you, you see this much more with men, right? So uh, women, when they get pregnant, they're like, you know, building this baby inside of them. They have this weird connection. But with men, there's almost like an instantaneous transition at some point, right? Usually it's after the baby has come out, and then, you know, the mom is like, hey, we're having a baby. And he's like, maybe, maybe, who knows, we'll see, right? And then the baby comes out, and he's like, wow, now I actually have responsibilities in life. I was a child before, now I have one. Like, that is a very, very difficult thing to, like, pin down and say exactly what it is. You couldn't describe that to someone to the point where they could actually appreciate it. The Holy Spirit is exactly the same way. 
There's no way that I or anyone I think can sit here and just sort of like break it down in a like, well, you know, your heart is going to feel this way. You're going to think this thought. You're going to say this thing. And then the Holy Spirit's going to show up. He's not like a genie that we, you know, get to rub a lamp and ask our three wishes of. But still, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that the Holy Spirit would come. So here's what we're going to do today. We're basically just going to walk through the rest of this passage. And instead of me trying to create some recipe for the Holy Spirit, instead of me trying to uh, create a user guide, basically I just want to look at these two things I think that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to do. Two things that the Holy Spirit has been brought to the earth uh, to do. And I think uh, the way that I want us to be thinking about this is how does that actually operate in our lives and why does it make our lives better than having Jesus right next to us? So we'll start in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus lets us know that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that convicts people of sin. And all of these things really are are sort of like wrapped up in one sort of package, right? So he's the one that is convicting people concerning sin. He's letting them know when they do wrong. He's also the one that is establishing for human beings what righteousness is. He sort of sets that standard. And so if he's letting human beings know what is wrong in the world, he's also letting them know what is right. And then he is also the one who doles out judgment. He's also the one who is uh, making that sort of judgment between the right and the wrong. And it says here specifically in this passage in verse 11 that he is going to judge the ruler of this world, or rather that the ruler of this world is already judged. And that is to say uh, Satan or the devil uh, is the ruler of this world, the one who is like currently in control, but already judged and found guilty by the Holy Spirit. Part of the Holy Spirit's job, in fact, is showing us when we are right and when we are wrong. I try to think through this because, uh, as I said, it's difficult to talk really about the Holy Spirit, so we can talk a little bit more about what he does. I think I've actually seen this in my own life. And I don't come from a very like charismatic kind of out there uh, you know, background, and I've never seen a moment, and maybe they do exist, but they just haven't happened in my experience, where someone just walks up to someone else and he's like, you're sinning by this, and the Holy Spirit just told me about it. Like, I, I don't really uh, know what all of that looks like. Here's what I do know, though. Uh, there was a couple at our church in New Orleans. They came to faith in Jesus uh, as adults and uh, started sort of like walking with us in community. They were living together, but they weren't married, and uh, New Orleans is a fairly expensive town, uh, not Denver levels, of course, but, you know, fairly expensive and stuff. And so I'm sitting there thinking, like, <clears throat> okay, I know that God's, like, most ideal plan for us as human beings in relationship is to get, mar- get married and then begin living together after that. But I'm sitting there, like, breaking down this conversation in my head, and I'm like, well, how do I pitch that to somebody? Because here's the, the reality of the world that we live in is that, like, this isn't just some sort of, like, decision that they, you know, made flippantly and now here they are. This isn't even something that uh, is just because, ah, we could do either way, but we like this better. Like, eventually this even becomes, like, a financial 
financial situation. Like they're going to have to double their like housing income on this entire thing. And I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, uh, you know, now they've accepted Jesus. They've started following Jesus. And now I have to have this awkward conversation. I was their small group leader walking up being some sort of like morality police where I'm like, haha, you're wrong. Fix it. Be better. Also, it'll cost you about a thousand dollars a month. Right? Like that was just a conversation. I was like, not at all excited to have. And I remember sitting down across from them one day and we were just talking and they were like, you know, the weirdest thing has happened. We really feel like if we're going to start our life out right, if we're going to really do this marriage thing right, then we need to restart the entire thing now that we are followers of Jesus. And they stepped into this really hard and awkward situation where they're like, you know, having to, one of them was like living with friends and they're kind of like couch surfing and stuff as they like got engaged and got married and all this other stuff. And all because... Not because they like, you know, picked up on some sort of like moral code or something like that. Not because somebody was, you know, passive aggressively being like, you guys are doing wrong, you should do better. Like, I think what actually happened is the Holy Spirit convicted them in their hearts of what was right and wrong. All too often we put that burden on ourselves. As if like part of being a Christian also means that we are to be the morality police of the world. Now, I don't want to sort of overstate this. There is a level at which we as Christians ought to be people who stand up for justice, and that does, in fact, mean that we ought to be people who call out evil. We also ought to be people who stand up for what is right and what is wrong. But on an individual, person-to-person level, convicting other people of sin is not our job. I think this is especially true uh, when we are thinking of people who don't believe in Jesus, and we look at them and we may look at their lifestyle. We may look at even uh, like political or social leanings that they may have. We may uh, just look at them and say like, that person is so far in their lifestyle away from what it looks like to be a Christian that there is no possible way they could ever accept Jesus. We may say because of this outward sin in their life, because of this thing that they're doing, because of this way that they have chosen to live, they can never accept Jesus I don't know if you're anything like me. I I end up playing out conversation after conversation in my head that I like, you know, am going to have with somebody. And I'm like, what if I tell them about Jesus? And then they're like, well, I really like this thing. And Jesus doesn't like this thing. And then I'm like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in my head. Ultimately, our only responsibility is to tell people the good news of Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes on the responsibility of convicting people of sin. In fact, that is why, and I I think if you think through your own life, it is 1,000% a blessing for us that we don't have to be perfect before Jesus accepts us. We don't have to be completely righteous before Jesus actually gives us his righteousness. In fact, it is a prerequisite of receiving this gift from Jesus that we are not righteous. And then the Holy Spirit steps into our life. The Holy Spirit becomes a part of who we are. And we begin the lifelong process of being sanctified by him, by being convicted of the sin that we have in our lives. Anytime that we try and reverse those two actions, that we make the Holy Spirit the convictor of sin before Jesus is present in someone's life, we end up getting it mixed up and we end up getting it wrong. What this also means <clears throat> is not just that the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sins of the world, but he's also the convictor of sins within ourselves. 
Here's what I, I also want to do today. I don't want today to be something where I give you a lot of information about the Holy Spirit. I want it to be an opportunity for you to experience the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do uh, this moment and a couple minutes later is I just want you to take a moment. Like, if the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, and if you are a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is within you. I want you to just think. You can close your eyes. You can sort of sit back. Uh, whatever it is you need to do, I'm going to give you just uh, you know a couple moments of awkward silence to think. Is there something that the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you of? Ask the Spirit the question uh, that's probably a little bit risky, right? Like, uh, feels like sort of like in a relationship where you ask that question, like, did I do something wrong? And sometimes it feels safer not to have to ask that question. Like, ask the Holy Spirit that question right now. Say, Holy Spirit, what is it in my life that you are trying to convict me of? Is there a sin that is just latent in my life? Is there a pet sin that I have been sort of keeping, that I've been holding on to, that I've been trying to justify? Holy Spirit, I pray in the next few moments, God, that you would just convict, convict all of us of our wrongdoings, convict convict us of how we've been living against your good and perfect will for us and for the universe. Take a moment and ask that question of the Spirit. The second thing that Jesus says here in this passage that the Holy Spirit does is in verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is one who illuminates truth to us from the Father. He shows us the truth of the Father. This isn't designed to be some sort of like fortune telling or, you know, like magic eight ball kind of situation. I don't think that was what God intended. It actually makes me think a lot about, um, there's this scene in The Hobbit, and it's one of those things that they get kind of perfectly in the book and that somehow in like three movies and 17 hours they can't figure it out for the movie. Uh, but basically, like, they're walking through Mirkwood, and uh, it's getting real dorky up in here. Get ready, okay? I'm just leaning into it. So I'm just assuming you all know what Mirkwood is. Anyway, they're walking through. Bilbo's hanging out with a bunch of dwarves, and uh, it's really dark. It's really spooky. Uh, they're actually drinking this water that's making them go a little bit crazy. Uh, they're starting to lose their minds. They're lost. They have no idea where they're going. And they just feel like their quest is over. They're probably going to starve to death. Or, you know, one of them is going to kill another one because they're, like, literally going insane because of just sort of, like, the oppressiveness of the darkness that is around them. And they take this, like, brief pause for a moment And they say, hey, Bilbo, you are the smallest, so why don't you climb up this tree and see if you can get a better vantage point to understand where we are. 
And this is the part that I, I don't think they can actually capture. I probably won't even do it justice myself, but he climbs up over the top of this tree, and there's like this massive canopy that does not let hardly any light in whatsoever. And he pops his head up, and he recognizes that the air is still fresh. Uh, there's actually like butterflies that are sort of fluttering around him. Uh, and he looks, and he sees that they are almost at the end of their destination. He actually sees the lonely mountain just uh, right at the end of a small river that now he is going to be able to track to lead them out. He sees this like brief moment of the actual reality of their situation, that they're actually like really, really close. And they're all down there despairing. They're all down there going nuts. Uh, They're all down there just losing it, not even recognizing that just a short journey away, they could actually be where they were heading this entire time. I feel like this is the type of truth that the Holy Spirit is offering. Like I said, it's, it's not telling you your fortune. It's not, you know, uh, some sort of like cosmic coin flip or something like that. But instead, it is showing you the actual reality of the situation. The Greek language actually had multiple words that we would translate as truth. Uh, there's a few different ones that we use, like uh, uh, pistos is actually get what gets sort of, you know, derived into the word epistemology. So like how you like know things in like a philosophical sense. Uh, there's a word called like gnosis, which means like uh, knowledge and how you can like have like, you know, understanding of a factoid or something like that. This word actually used right here is actually aletheia or something, you know, more Greek sounding than that. But for, you know, broad strokes, we'll just stick with that. It means something a little bit more than those other two. It means uh, it's sort of wrapped up with this idea, and this is where our English language really falls apart. There's like a truth that is associated with also what is good and what is righteous. In fact, very often when this, verse, or when this word is used throughout the Bible, uh, they will say those who are acting in truth, those who are doing things that are true. And sometimes it gets associated, or sometimes it gets translated, those who are doing good. You can like speak this truth and act out this truth. And then simultaneously, it has like a divine, otherworldly, non-human component to it. This is not just truth like, you know, being able to know who's going to like win a horse race or something like that. This is not some sort of uh, truth that the Holy Spirit imparts to you so that you can, you know, finish a test and get an A plus or something like that. No, this is understanding of the actual reality of the situation, the reality that is much bigger than we can experience with our heads down facing uh, just what we see, the reality that is actually the reality of the universe, the bizarro reality that Jesus is talking about through the entire book of John that sometimes seems so backwards, that sometimes seems so impossible to us in our everyday lives, but is actually more true than the world that we see around us. It's kind of beautiful, too, when you think about it, that this type of truth is actually associated with what is good. You see, we tend to, like, you know, parse those things out to say that, like, things that are good are one thing and things that are true are another thing and, and never the two shall meet, right? Like, but for God, that's not the case. 
For God, goodness and truth are actually one in the same. For him, it is no less true that two plus two equals four than it is that we should not steal or that the best way that we can relate to each other is to love one another. These, for God, are truths just in the exact same way. For us, they are like completely different parts of our brain and completely different parts of a discussion. We love having a discussion or a debate, especially in like, you know, politics or something like that. And we're like, well, that might be, you know, the nicest thing to do or the right thing to do, but is it true? Like, is it actually going to, you know, produce the results that we want? For God, he does not have to parse those things out. He does what is true and he does what is good. And that is the only way that he chooses to operate with us. That is the only way he operates in the universe. That is this truth that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us. That is the truth that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in. Verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I've actually seen this happen too. The Holy Spirit very often reminds me of what is actually true because it's all too easy for me to believe something that is not. Even this very week, <clears throat> as I was like prepping for this message and just uh, trying to sort of even think through what the future of Dwell Church is, and uh, felt as though that the Holy Spirit was uh, guiding me, I think, in a couple of things. Uh, first, and this happened through like multiple conversations with people that I trust, uh, and in time, in scripture, and in prayer, I feel like the Holy Spirit was leading me to a place to say, like, why are you so scared of risking anything? Like, the actual reality of the world is that instead of operating with this thing, God's church, uh, his, like, divinely appointed mission for the planet, instead of operating out of a system of fear and trying to just hold on to what we have, we ought to be able to operate in a place where we can risk anything knowing that God is behind us. And that does not mean that we just sort of act foolish and do crazy stuff just for the sake of doing crazy stuff. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of doing supernaturally amazing things in and through the life of our church. The Holy Spirit wants to back us up. The Holy Spirit wants us to do things that are actually going to require him to be a part of it. Not just what we can conservatively do on our own, not just what we can accomplish. And I think in that, the Holy Spirit shared another truth with me. And it was simply just this, that the lie that I very often tell myself that says that I am not worth anything, uh, that I am only worth what I can produce, that I'm only worth whatever the size of my church is or how well I preached last week's sermon, that all of those things have nothing to do with my actual worth as a human being. And in fact, I am a child of God, that I am someone that he loves very, very dearly, that I am someone that Jesus died on the cross for. And for us, with our, like, categories of truth, like, you know, we have, like, scientific truth and knowledge, like, I don't know where any of that fits. I believe that it is true. I believe that it is more true than so many of the things that I see around me. And yet, 
is exceptionally hard for me to sometimes poke my head up out of the weeds, to get my head out of the forest to see the actual truth that I am loved by God, that I am known by him, that he knows me and my motivations and my actions even more intimately and deeply than I know myself and still chooses to love me. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God to us. He does it through multiple ways. He does it through scripture, does it through time and prayer and meditation, does it through community and the people of God being uh, prophetically voices or prophetically uh, messengers from God to tell us the truth, to remind us of who we are and the truth and the true reality of the universe. The Holy Spirit is the one to guide us into all the truth. And the greatest of these truths is very simply the gospel. That throughout God's plan for the entire universe and all of the human race, that he would send his son to die for us, for that sin, that very same sin that the Holy Spirit convicts us of of, and shows us uh, what is wrong and what is right in our lives and shows us where we fall short, that Jesus would come to this earth to die for that very sin. And I think I'm reminded of that too because... At the end of the day, a truth that profound, a truth that is that counter to our reality that we see around us, to the way that we think the world operates, it has to have the Holy Spirit to be able to fill in that gap. In fact, we are not good enough, we are not wise enough, we cannot see clearly enough to be able to understand that truth for ourselves without the Holy Spirit filling in the gaps for us, without the Holy Spirit making that plain. And I hope that's good news for you today, to know that the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer of of Jesus or a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has already filled in that gap for you, but it also ought to be encouraging as we think about our non-believing neighbors, as we think about the people that God has put in our lives who do not yet know Jesus, that you don't have to explain it to them in the most compelling way. You don't have to be able to sort of like break down all of history and say this is, you know, where God was through all of these things. You don't even have to answer all of their questions. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can show us the truth of God. He is the one who will guide us into the truth that comes from the Father. And he is the one who knows that person that you're thinking about, who knows that person that you're talking to about Jesus, He's known them for a lot longer than you've known them, and he knows them a lot more deeply and more intimately than you could ever know them. And he has the supernatural power to be able to guide them into the truth of Jesus. Let's take a moment again. And this time what I want you to think about and what I want you to honestly ask the Holy Spirit, even right here in this moment, is what truths are you trying to teach me today? What is the truth of the Father? What is the divine truth that you, the Holy Spirit, have as a message for me today? Take a moment right now, and then I'll lead us into communion. Take a moment, quiet yourself, quiet your mind, block out everything else, and ask the Holy Spirit, what is the truth? What is the reality of Jesus that I am not seeing in my own life? right now.
Holy Spirit, we want what Jesus has promised to us. God, even when it is painful, even when it hurts us, we want you to convict us of sin. Show us in our own lives where we are wrong, where we fall short of your good and true plan for our lives. God, reveal to us truth. God, when we are so quick to take in lies, when we are so quick to pile lives upon, lies upon ourselves, God, show us what is true, what is real, what is the absolute reality, God, that you are in charge of and not us. God, we humbly ask that you would do what only you can reveal that truth to us, God. And as we are going and bringing your message of good news to the world, God, we ask that you, as the Holy Spirit would go ahead of us, God, that you would, you would pave the way, that you would be the one who reveals your truth to a world that so desperately needs it. So that as we come, as we show up, God, we are going alongside you, not showing up and asking you to come with us, God, but we are following the route that you are paving, the way that you are laying ahead of us, God, the the inroads that you are making, even in this very moment in people's lives that need it. humbly submit ourselves to you and ask that you would guide us into all truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.